Hello and welcome to our final podcast of 2021. Thank you so much for for joining us today. I'm absolutely delighted that I'll be joined by some colleagues of mine for this podcast today. Uh, Fiona Fearon, NGA's Policy and Projects Manager, Nina Sharma, NGA's Senior Policy and Information Officer, and Megan Tate. NGA's Policy and Research Assistant. And today we're going to be talking to you about the findings from our annual governance survey that um, what we do every year. Um, but in, in 2021, um, it, it, it showed us some 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 new aspects to, to the things that you're, you're thinking, the, the conversations you're having. Uh, and we really want to share that with you and, and just have a bit of a, a discussion around what, what the survey findings have, have told us this year. Um, I think it's really important that we we kick off um, with, with, with what the survey told us was most important to you. And this year in our, in our survey, we asked you what your uh, top strategic priorities were. And you told us loud and clearly that pupil uh, mental health and well-being uh, came number one. And we want to um, really uh, unpick some of that that conversation with you today. So we're going to be looking at well-being. Uh, and I think it's important that we, we think about well-being um, overall, uh, the well-being of pupil, staff and school leaders. But for the moment, let's just focus on pupil mental health and well-being. Day in, day out, there is new research, news and information that we hear about uh, the impact of COVID-19 on on the mental health and well-being of pupils. And and we've heard from from many of you over the last year that this is something you're deeply worried and and concerned about. We know that many of you are looking at new ways of of tackling this issue, uh, looking at how you can engage with pupils themselves on this issue. Um, and, and, and so we, you know, at NGA, we've made this a top priority for, for, for us in, in 2022. It's one of our big three um, areas of focus uh, for the year ahead. Um, so let's get a conversation started now on this particular area. Fiona, I'm going to bring you in here if that's okay. Um, it'd be great great to hear from you on, on what we've heard from, from governors and trustees around pupil mental health and wellbeing. Yeah, thanks, Sam. So um, I think it's really important to point out just before I start um, the way we asked this question in the annual governance survey this year, because it was slightly different to previous years. So in previous years, we've asked boards more about what are the top issues um, or perhaps what are the top concerns of boards, etc. But based on the last sort of 21 months or so, I guess we were really keen to find out what the most pressing um, priorities were. Um, because this pandemic will have brought up, you know, so many issues and so many challenges to boards. You know, it could have been any, the priority could have could have quite easily have been anything because the whole education system has really um, been whipped up into a little bit of a, um, a bit of a storm, really, with everything that's happened and all of the disruption. So we're really keen to hear what those top strategic priorities were. Um, so... 45% of boards did say that pupil mental health and well-being is in their top three strategic priorities for the coming year, which is quite in line um, with 
the research that has taken place across the sector, um, where pupil, the, the decline in pupil mental health and well-being as a result of partial school closures, as a result of the uncertainty around the pandemic and what that has meant to children and young people across the country. Um, and it and it really has had an impact, and like I say, we've seen that through other um, other areas of research as well. So I guess our findings are very much in line with what we're hearing nationally. Just to kind of go into a little bit more depth as to why there is such an issue around pupil mental health and well-being, we know that our education system historically. Um, is very focused on attainment and outcomes. We're a very attainment-driven um, system. And to a point, rightly so, because we want our children to be educated and we want them to leave their education having done the very best that they can and they go to school for an education and, and to get their qualifications so that they can go on to the next stage in life. The issue, I guess, is that if pupil mental health and well-being is compromised um, and children's minds aren't in a place where they're ready to learn due to um, anxiety or um, many other um, issues that may, they, that may be presented, that they may be presented with, if we don't address those things, um, it automatically becomes a barrier to children learning. So I guess we've had to really take a step back as a sector and really think about what is important to, um, you know, what is important, what do we really need to be focusing on um, and, and really come back to the drawing board. Um, and just to kind of bring in here, one of the statistics that I thought was quite telling um, was that there was an 18% rise in boards basically saying that schools provide additional services to their children and families so that because there's so much going on in the lives of children there's been so much going on um, children being educated or a lot of children being educated at home um, the, the issues and the barriers that that presents so schools have been a lot more involved um, and I, uh, I guess schools do have a massive um, role to play and have had a massive role to play. So that's 72% of schools providing additional services um, this year to children and their families. Um, so it's really important for us to kind of understand that a little bit further. I, I suppose when thinking about pupil mental health and well-being, the best starting point is to ask children um, where they're at. You know, and, and we'll probably discuss later that we did hear from Rachel D'Souza and the, the Big Ask survey, which was a fantastic um, tool to use to, to really capture um, the ch children's voices from across the country and, and find out what they're saying. Um, but that we can almost do that within our own schools um, and almost do our own mini big ask survey um, and, and, and kind of and, and that brings into play the importance of stakeholder engagement um, and, and the part that that has to play in addressing pupil mental health and well-being and Nina I know that obviously you're leading on the fourth core function project which is all about stakeholder engagement do you have um, if you've got any sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting and also very concerning about 
you know how much there uh, there is an alignment about people mental health and well-being and across the sector is so cohesive um and i think that stakeholder engagement definitely has a really big part to play in that to understand and know what are the issues within you know school what are people's faced with what are their worries what are their concerns um and so you know for boards in particular to understand what stakeholders are saying and when we talk about stakeholders we want to talk about pupils parents staff um you know the wider community when we're you're using that information it's it helps boards to be able to challenge and support their leaders from an, an informed perspective so if you know that you know, mental health is caused by exam stress what are, what is the school doing to or what are leaders doing and um, subject leaders doing to mitigate or minimize the impact that assessments and grading can have on pupils and so you know regularly listening to your pupils like you mentioned in the big ask survey that really told you a really big picture about what pupils cared about and what was important to them and I just want to reflect on that because you know, in that survey, one in five people said that they were not happy at school. And that's really important. And that's really, you know, detrimental to the future of those children as well. Why are they not happy? What are their concerns? And why aren't they, you know, in that one place where they spend five days a week? Why are they not at their happiest? What is preventing them from that? And so um, what I would say is employing strategies to be able to listen to your stakeholders regularly. And it's not just a one way, you know, street. It's not just you throwing out a survey out there. It's about talking to boards directly, talking to parents to understand and also parents talking back or staff talking back to boards or pupils talking to boards directly. So boards have a really clear idea of the pupils, the parents, the communities that they serve. I just want to reflect on parent kinds, parent voice research that they did this year, and it found that parents felt that their child's mental health and well-being was impacted by exam stress, anxiety, homework, bullying and social media. And this was all over 50 percent of parents saying that these were issues that they felt their children were facing. We actually think stakeholder engagement is so important um, to embed from a governing board level, whether that's local board or your, your trust board um, we've created guidance um, in conjunction with parent kinds which provides some real practical support and advice for boards to be able to employ these methods and actually overcome some barriers that may exist um, and I think that you know when you're effectively doing it and when school leaders are actually collaborating with boards on on these strategies you can have a really big impact on how you move forward with supporting people with mental health and well-being brilliant thank you so much nina and i think i think it's worth saying as well you know this um this really ties in with some of the other things that nga has been looking at and, and finding out about over, over the last year one of those in particular was how um uh, in a multi-academy trust things are being done and we know that uh, parental engagement in trusts uh, is is approached in, in in different ways isn't it and you know i know this is a big part of of that focus as well for for you and, and the work you, you've you've been doing uh, nina as part in in the wider stakeholder engagement work um but it's been really encouraging i think to see more trusts um exploring how they do uh, 
in engagement with with pupils, engagement with parents, engagement with staff. Uh, you know, on a, on a trust wide basis, um, and I, I think it's really important that we we keep listening to what trusts are doing, the different approaches they're taking, and really taking taking that on board and sharing it with the wider sector. We've got so much practice out there that's really Im improving. We need to make sure that that we're, we're giving giving that practice a, a platform to be shared. Uh, and I think that, that will very much form a part of what NGA is trying to do with this work going forwards in, into the next year or so. Um, there is definitely a link to with mental health and, and well-being and, and, and workload of staff and, and school leaders too and I think you know we should we should um, really think about that um, for for a few moments um, uh, for almost two years staff and, and school leaders clearly had to grapple with something that that actually most of us couldn't imagine happening um, and you know I, I think actually lots of those leaders lots of those staff just haven't had the time to really stop and, and take a step back and think think about what's what's hit them um and um you know uh, w there's still so much i'm picking to do you know we've we're we're, we're recording this um the day after it's been announced that you know that there'll be uh, slightly tougher measures in place in response to this new variant of, of COVID-19 so we're we're no way near over the pandemic and there's there's still much still so much for, for us to be talking about in terms of how this is impacting staff um, in our schools uh, and there have been many policy changes that, that schools have had to adapt and you know the, the reality is They've done that so well. Uh, they've done that so graciously, and you know we we are in total awe of them, really. Um, you know, from exams to risk assessments, uh, you know, there's been so much going on. Uh, and actually, the way that our staff are in, uh, talking to, to parents, the way um, they're having to keep um, the the local community informed, you know, th this is this is all um, new challenges that. Uh, you know, every week that goes by, there, there's something new, something different um, uh, to to tackle, and uh, and I think, you know, we, we we can't forget about the huge achievements that have been made. So let's talk a little bit about staff wellbeing and workload more generally, Fiona. You know, at, at our annual conference, we had Mandy uh, Coulter, didn't we? Who's founder of T Talent Architects, and she said some really powerful things, I think, in in her speech, mm -hmm. which which went down really well um, with our delegates. And in a in her address, I don't know if you remember, she spoke about how staff are, you know, what whilst they're the most expensive resource in your, in your school or, or trust, which is something we all know, they are without doubt the most impactful. Um, and actually, they, you know, if, you, if you're getting your staffing right, it's those individuals that have the, you know, the, the, the power, the real chance to impact the lives of, of, a, of, a, of, of children and, and young people yeah. in a way that really can can do so much to, in terms of the, the future direction that those those pupils take and, and you know, where where their lifetimes take them. So they're very powerful individuals to, to, to these children, aren't they? And I know that you've got experience of this yourself for your own experience of working in schools. Mm -hmm. Do you, could you talk to us a little bit about that? But also, you know, what, what did, what Mandy said, what, what, what do you think that means to governing boards more generally? 
Yeah, well, to be honest, first of all, on a bit of a, a personal note, um, I actually found it quite emotional um, when Mandy spoke. It was a specific part of her keynote speech. And I actually did find it a little bit of emotional thinking back to my experience working within the education system. Um, and, you know, staff, all staff, are working, have always worked, but particularly at the moment are working so hard in such challenging circumstances. And I think we are creatures of comfort, aren't we? We like to know what's coming. We like to know what's what to expect. And I, I, I think in this time of uncertainty, it's definitely placed um, a higher level of anxiety on staff and, and pupils alike um, and parents. Um, and, you know, as a former um, school leader myself and as a mother of a child who attends school, who's about to do his GCSEs, um, it's, it, it, staff well-being is something that is um, absolutely paramount. Um, and basically, it was the point in which... Um, point at which Mandy asked she asked this really striking question during her um, keynote she basically asked the um, those that attended the annual conference to raise their hands if their school had a written improvement had a written improvement financial strategies a strategy in place for their finances um, and everybody's hand went up um, I think she asked if if, if people had um, a strategy in place for um, curriculum, and various things like that, and everybody's hands went up. And then she asked um, the attendees whether they their school had written up a people strategy. And it was quite surprising and absolutely no judgment on those attending because I don't think um, I had really considered this um, when I was working um, in um, the pupil referral units. I don't think I'd actually considered it because we just go to work and we do our jobs and we there's a strat there's strategies in place and we're part of that and you know and etc and you, you kind of go to work and do your job but actually having a strategy around the people um those the, the, your human resource if you like don't like um referring to it as that but and and very few hands went up <clears throat> And when you think about staffing as, like you said, Sam, the most expensive resource and the most important resource, because it's your staff that are going to impact your pupils. It's your staff that are going to, to um, be um, one of the most important or significant deciding factors in how well your pupils um, do and their attainment and their outcomes. You know, if your staff aren't very well um, or if your staff are struggling, then you inevitably your pupils are going to struggle um, or at least be limited um, in their potential, in reaching their potential. So it was like it was a bit of a light bulb moment, to be honest, like, why don't we have a people strategy? And it's important to say that there were some hands that had gone up. Um, so it's not like I'm not, you know, certainly not saying that all, there are no boards out there doing this. Um, but it was very few. And in line with this, um, when we asked about those top three strategic priorities, um, only 14% of those um, said that. Um, staff well-being and workload um, is one of their top three strategic priorities. 
So I guess the questions that boards um, really need to be asking themselves um, and their school leaders are, you know, what are the pros, um, you know, about working, working in your school? Um, what makes it a great place to work? Um, and also, you know, if it's not, what could be improved or if it is, are there more improvements that could be made? You know, is there a retention issue? Why is there a retention issue? So there's not so many questions around this topic that could be asked when putting together that um, that people strategy, if you like, um, you know, and, and, and something that I think would be really beneficial for boards to reflect on. Brilliant. Thanks, Fiona. Absolutely. And I, I guess the only thing that's crossing my mind when, when, we're, when we're having this conversation is, you know, when we're talking about um, staff, we, we obviously need to be thinking a lot about the, the, the head teacher or the CEO that, that you know, those, those responsible for, for leading their organisation um, as, as well. And I think one, one of the things that hit me when we did the survey this year was whilst I think we had, you know, almost 80% of, of people saying that they took a systematic approach to um, reviewing um, workload and um, uh, from, from, from the position of, of staff, the, the, the percentage was less, wasn't it, for, for senior leaders. So, um, you know, when they were thinking about workload and well-being um, of, of, of senior leaders, there, there was a, a less less of a, a percentage looking into that from a systematic point of view. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's, that's quite telling in, in some ways. And um, I, th I think we, we need to obviously, obviously be, 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 be very aware of that um, because actually the, those senior le leaders are, are so reliant, aren't they, on, on the, the governing board them, themselves. I think other staff have that line management structure to go through they get support from from other people within within the organization where senior leaders um you know we can't underestimate that that key role of, of support we you know we always talk about the challenge role that governing boards play but that role of support um uh, really comes into its own doesn't it when we talk about um workload and well-being of, of our staff um so, so so i think it's really really important that, that we mention that at, at this point I'm, I'm really conscious megan we haven't heard from you yet i just wanted to invite you in to to kind of contribute to this this conversation you you were pivotal to the annual governance survey analysis this year and and um i know it's uh, something that you haven't done before what what what, what did you what, what kind of hit you through through the process what what was there anything in particular that, that, that you wanted to to share from from your experience of looking into that that data this year thanks sam um i think i want to talk about um stakeholder engagement in relation to staff but actually mentioned some statistics here that we found um so we found that 64% of respondents monitored the results of a staff survey um, with 11% who would have wanted to, but COVID-19 prevented them. We also found that 31% held a staff consultation with 15% who would have, but COVID-19 prevented them. And, and these figures in 2021 are slightly down from 2020, um, which isn't overall a bad picture because I think it shows that COVID-19 has 
really positively made um, governing boards and schools more more engaged with their staff, wanting to know how they are from a well-being perspective. Um, so I think it's really positive positive in that instance. And although there might be this dip in 2021, it, it probably allows for um, a time of encouraging boards and schools to really keep up that engagement um, with their staff, because even though it's gone slightly down this year, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot, a lot of things going on. So, but to see that be um, still consistent in numbers is a really, really positive thing to take out of COVID, really. And obviously, staff well-being is, after all the things that staff have been going through, policy changes, absences, it's just a really, really um, key area that we can keep working on and that's positively shown through in the annual survey. And I think Fiona said you've got a personal example that you would like to reflect on in terms of that yeah so when we were discussing this um we were discussing the podcast just kind of um you know brought back my own personal experience of an amazing chair um so um, I come from a group of um, schools um, that were people referral units dotted around um, a local authority and our um, chair I mean, he would pop into the school, he would come and knock on my office door, um, come in really serious, say he's got something really serious to talk to me about and then crack a really bad joke, um, you know, but would always have us have us laughing, you know, um, but he was just so like, he had so much time um, for us, it wasn't just, um, you know, kind of checking in, are you okay, um, you know, well-being, etc. He he was just so relatable. He was just there, um, kind of links to our whole visible governance campaign, I suppose. So it wasn't just the serious things. He would all he would absolutely always check in. Um, and he would come and find out if I'm okay, if there's anything going on, anything bothering me, or you know, he's very concerned about my well-being, particularly with the role that I held. Um, which at, at the time, which was director of safeguarding, which could be quite an intense um, job to do. Um, but he was interested in me. He was interested in how I was. He was interested in the little things as well. Um, you know, he was interested in my development. Um, you know, and I, I think there's something that to be said when we, you know, when you um, talked about those those stats, Meg, um, and you, you know, we've seen, like you say, we've seen this rise of um, engagement um, with staff, and yes, we saw a slight dip, as you've as you rightly you've rightly said, but. I think a lot of things were disrupted were disrupted last year, and it has really reset. Um, you know, it really has kind of reset thinking to get to the heart and the spirit of what we really do. You know, and I guess my little example was just um, you know that personified really just the importance. And so, from somebody who was a member of uh, uh, you know staff and on the senior leadership team, that meant so much to me. Um, it really did, and it's just be to encourage boards to to and uh, to encourage you in when you are engaging with your staff and your senior leaders, senior leaders in particular. You know, it means a lot. Brilliant, thanks, Fiona. Um, let's let's move on to uh, another aspect of of this year's survey findings, and particularly the the role of of governors and, and trustees, um, and and the challenges with recruitment for volunteers. Uh, one of the main findings uh, across the survey this year that uh, which backs up 
findings from from previous years is that recruitment um, for governors and, and, and trustees re- remains a, a challenge for for many boards. And 64% of our respondents said that they found it hard to recruit volunteers, and that's up 15% from from 2019. That's continuing to rise. Uh, you know, we're we're finding we that there's more reliance on 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 uh, retired volunteers as, as well. Um, uh, and uh, you know that that coincides with a third of boards telling us that they've got two or more vacancies. And you know you, you'll remember this this is kind of happening at a, a time when boards are generally speaking getting smaller as well. And we, we did maybe a, a few years ago expect that um, with with boards getting smaller that might help um, that the challenge with finding volunteers and and those recruitment challenges. But but clearly we still um got got a challenge on our hands to to get this this right um and and that really comes at a time when we're at nga and um uh, other organizations we're working with really wanting to place a focus on on not just getting you know skills right but getting the 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 people around the board right from from the perspective of diversity of making sure that um, the, the board really does reflect the communities we serve um, uh, you know and we, we really want to encourage boards to recruit from underrepresented groups um, uh, uh, as well so there's lots of considerations here isn't there um, so I guess there's a there's a big question um, here for, for for boards is how do they start to address these challenges um, and, and and what they're going to do about it. Megan, let's bring you in here. What what what, what did the the survey tell us, and, and and what do you think we can be doing about it? Thanks, Sam. And and you mentioned the key thing really about getting the right people around the table. And I think um, NGA we've we've been investigating obviously underrepresented groups, which which include people from an ethnic minority and those that are younger, which we class as under forty. Um, and unfortunately, our survey is echoing a disappointing figure again in terms of um, ethnicity. We we um, received 93% white British um, participants in our survey this year, um, which, you know, has been the, the, a similar figure for several years now. Um, but where we did see ethnic minority participants um, higher up, this was often in London and in terms of leadership as well, we only saw 2% of chairs from an ethnic minority, um, which is which is really disappointing. Um, and I'll just give you some demographics about our younger governors. So they are more likely to be from an ethnic minority and um, one in five of those under 30 identify as LGBTQ+. So I think in terms of recruitment, one thing we could look at if we take younger governors, for example, knowing also that they're um, they often work in education if they're likely to become a governor and also um, they're often more likely to be in full-time employment is to probably look at that key key thing of flexibility in your recruitment and also in the appointment of a governor are you you know are you offering them that flexibility with their full-time job you know are you looking at hybrid meetings hybrid um, recruitment methods I, I think that's just a really a really key thing that jumps out at me from the findings um and also in terms of what they can bring to the table, young people closer in age to um, the children that you're you actually um, making those those decisions about, and so they can bring a key a key voice around the table. So 
But on, on a positive note, though, it was really, really nice to see that once appointed on the board, feelings of inclusion and progress were, were generally really high. So I think that is really, really positive. Yeah, and I think I want to come into this conversation a little bit because when I'm thinking back about the work that we did on equality, diversity and inclusion, and we are continuing to do, um, I'm thinking about, we spoke to so many people, didn't we, Meg, about, um, you know, how their, what their experiences were on the board and and how they're trying to recruit and um, look to a more, having a more diverse board as a, in general and I'm thinking about this one participant in particular and she was um a mother I'm, I'm not I can't quite remember where she was from or based and um we'd asked one of the questions about what motivated her to want to become a governor and sit on her board and I think she was a chair at the time and she mentioned that she was very aware about what was happening in her community um in relation to crime um, gangs, violence, drugs being an issue within within the wider community. And she, she kind of said, I'm very aware of these issues and I want to make sure that those children in school today don't resort to these sorts of actions or don't become part of those statistics or don't become those that number. You know, it's, it's, it was really important to her and that was something that she felt as sitting on a board, she could really um, create a bit of an impact to and influence. And I think you know people have so many enriching experiences they have such a big voice they have so much to give and they can be so influential in you know and impactful on children's lives so Fiona was talking about how the chair had an impact on her the impact that boards can have from decision making right down to you know influencing the culture the vision of their school or trust is so you know integral to how a people can view their educational experiences they you know they know that if they do well they can succeed in life and, and, and achieve in their future so that was just one example of what we had in that focus group and if anyone does want to refer to the uh, report that we did you can find it on our website but um, it's definitely worth a read and I think you know um, NGA I'm sure you'll agree Sam are going to continue to advocate for for this work and continue to strive to do as much as we can to make sure that this is the case. Yeah, just to come in there, Nina, um, it's quite powerful, really. Some of these stats that Meg has shared um, um, around board diversity and then Nina just adding the context to that in relation to some of those focus groups that, that we, we carried out last year, um, not last year, sorry, earlier in the year. Um, but I think there's just really something to be said about having those um, those people who are currently underrepresented the importance of, of of really taking steps to diversify the board. You know, there are, um, and it's not taking away the value that current board members already um, add and bring. It's adding to that value um, and looking at actually um, there are certain lived experiences um, that 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 some of those underrepresented groups will will have that will enrich the conversation and ultimately enrich the the lives of the children that that, that they're serving um, and 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 so you know we all bring different um, lived experiences and so can so can you know really impact the direction that the school is is going in. So it's really important. And, and the other thing really is that I guess culturally we are in a time where 
um, the younger generation, younger people, children and young people today are far more aware and have a lot more understand, uh, understanding and, and empathy, you know, in relation to some of the social issues that are being talked about. So these conversations where there is um, a group um, that is... Um, you know, is is at a disadvantage for whatever reason. Um, you're you're finding more now that children across all, um, you know, sort of a kind of breaking down those barriers and across all walks of life are starting to speak up and are starting to speak up for their fellow pupils and they're noticing themselves. You know, um, some of those. Um, social issues some of those injustices um so it's really important that as a board we are addressing board diversity you know and um you know in a way that relates back to the well-being of our of our pupils our children and our young people within our schools thanks fiona i think um in terms of to turn the conversation in a different direction now in terms of what else the board um, want or should address um, we can talk about um, managing premises um, because actually this came up as the second top priority um, which was quite unusual compared to other annual surveys that we've had before but I think I think when you think about it, it's quite understandable um, with everything that COVID has demanded from managing and improving premises in terms of ventilation um, safety for pupils while on premises in such um times like COVID I think as well if you think if we think back to Rachel D'Souza's um, speech talking about the big ask survey and and the biggest um, kind of thing that children wanted and what the answer that she said was play they just really want play and how important it is to all ages of children young children um, teenagers wanting to play football and I think it kind of rings true with with this finding because you know premises is where that's going to happen that children love school obviously and so you know making sure that you're utilizing that is going to be is going to be a top priority especially on top of like i said all the all the covid um measures that have to be um put in place so i think it's a good time to mention the greener governance campaign and how and how this definitely ties in um with this finding and how we have our new guidance structured around the um, four C's of sustainability and campus is one of these C's, you know, making sure um, your buildings are as environmentally sustainable as, as possible. And also we talk about in the guidance, making sure environmental sustainability is not um, an add-on, it's something that is like a golden thread um, run throughout and I think with with premises it, it's really a good example because you can make changes to your premises for example um, putting more green spaces in schools green spaces will um, improve your air quality but also um, you know there's there'll be benefits to children they can play you know the mental health side again coming back to that so I, honestly I think I can really understand why that why that has has traveled up the list this year I, I can really um, really see that and I think um, the Department for Education have um, a quote on this um, which talks about how the culture ethos and the environment of the school can have a profound influence on pupil and staff mental well-being um, so I think that that really brings it full circle um, yeah brilliant thanks so much Megan and, and of course we we can't 
talk about the last 12 months or um, well, we can't really talk about any uh, part of school life really without uh, talking quickly about finance um, and um, some interesting results in, in the survey this year. Um, the, I mean, this this all comes at a time when the, the Institute of Fiscal Studies uh, and their 2021 annual report on education spending in England um, showed that education spending as a proportion of national income has actually fallen from 5% before the pandemic to 4.4% um, in 2019-2020. In, uh, um, and it really all goes to highlight once again that in real terms, the per pupil funding of England schools fell over the course of a decade um, between 2010 and, and 2020. We've deprived schools seeing larger cuts over, over that period than, than the least deprived schools. Um, but, but despite the, the additional 4.4 billion of, of funding that's, that's been announced um, uh, as part of the, the 2021 spending review, uh, that, that particular report says that spending per pupil in, in 2024 will be at about the same level as in 2010. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a picture that's actually for, for governing boards quite difficult, I think, to, to, to get a firm grasp of. And although NJ absolutely welcomes the, ex, the extra investment in education, um, you know, that, that, that report that shows a, a period of, of, of over 15 years with, with actual no overall growth in spending, you know, will be a concern for, for those governing in schools and trusts. And that really sort of rung true with how um, governors and, and trustees viewed the, the long term, didn't it, Nina? Do you, do you want to say a little bit about that for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's quite interesting, really, because I think although we've seen an increase in funding to support, you know, the impacts of COVID-19, funding is still an issue. Finance is still a concern for our boards. Um, so in our survey, this year, we found that less than half of governors and trustees um, who responded to our survey said that their school or trust finances were sufficient um, to deliver their strategic priorities for their pupils. Um, so, so you know that 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 is quite a striking statistic, really, when it's you know just just over half. So, um, funding continues to present a challenge to all types of schools and it is positive that making the best use of resources features in the top strategic priorities for boards. The survey shows that the short-term state of finances is more positive than the long-term outlook just you know just as you say Sam it's it's great that we're getting funding but in the long term how sustainable is that to support our pupils um, almost three quarters of respondents so 72% said their school and trust can balance income and expenditure now but over half so just um, around 56% think that they are not sufficiently funded to deliver their long term vision for pupils the data also showed significant difference by school type. Those governing in Academy Trust presented the most positive picture when it came to balancing the budget, as well as optimism about the future funding, while respondents in local authority maintained schools reported the greatest challenge in both current and long-term funding. The current financial situation, you know, was a clear precursor to respondents' feelings about future and financial health. 
While 73% of respondents currently balancing their budget while retaining a healthy surplus believe they are sufficiently funded to meet their long-term vision for pupils, just 8% of those currently are unable to balance income and expenditure. And, you know, that just rings, that just gives you a, a huge picture on what it looks like and how, um, you know, how concerning it is, not just for the long term, but in some circumstances, the right here and now to support our pupils, especially when they need it the most. And, um, you know, following these reviews and these, what we've been seeing um put out there about funding NGA as a whole the call on the government to provide sufficient long-term investment in our schools because that's the best thing to do for our pupils that's really interesting thanks Nina so I think I think that's really telling isn't it that actually overall over over half are saying that in the in the long term what we're gonna we're gonna have problems but then when you when you when you dig down deeper you know the there's a much higher proportion of those who are currently quite comfortable um, saying that in the long term they'll be okay. Um, but actually, it's it's those that are already struggling who are really really struggling to see beyond the here and now and and actually looking more long term. It's an even more negative picture for them. So, you know, it's this quite disempowering thing for for a, for a governing board, isn't it? To think, look, we've we've done this work, we've got a vision, we've got this ambition for our pupils, but look, we, we need money to, to, to make this happen, which, you know, is totally um, reasonable, isn't it? You, you know, life costs money, doesn't it? To, to kind of, um, to, to equip um, and, and ultimately schools want to uh, be equipped to, to give the best and the most enjoyable experiences for their pupils and I think long term that's that's looking tricky for for lots of governing boards out there so that's really interesting Thank, thanks Nina um Fiona um where well, we're probably running to the end of, of our time today um but let's just say something quickly on behavior and, and exclusions if, if we can it's not something I particularly want want to rush but you know it, it would be remiss of us to 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 end this podcast without saying anything about it could you maybe give us some, some thoughts from, from your perspective on, on what the survey is telling us and what we need to to be be doing and, and saying in the year ahead yeah well it was it was definitely um one of the top five um strategic um the top five top three strategic priorities for boards it was in the in the top five um, and it is something that is on the board's radar. And I think that's because prior to the pandemic, um, exclusions were at an all time high. Um, and we know that um, data from last academic year tells us that they were at their lowest since 2000, the academic year of 2013, 14. Um, but obviously you've got the, you know, the partial school closures for much of that um, academic year. So if we kind of took a snapshot of 
the autumn term of 2019, which was the last full term that we had before the partial school closures kicked in. Um, permanent exclusions were actually up 5% um, and fixed term exclusions had increased by 14%. Um, so behaviour and exclusions are on the rise um, and is something that I know is and, and that we can see from those findings that is on the radar of governing boards and rightly so. Um, I do think that we we have to kind of consider who who which groups of pupils are more likely to be permanently excluded and um, you know according to the Timpson review which was published a few years back um, children with poor mental health uh, were more likely kind of looping back around to the, the the issue of mental health and well-being they were more likely to be excluded um, from school than their peers and we also know that um, children who are from the black um, Caribbean um, ethnic, ethnic group were also more likely to be permanently excluded significantly more likely to be excluded than than their peers and um, this year we, we we did ask a question um, just on um, really what kind of data boards collect around academic attainment around um, behavior safeguarding concerns and exclusions and 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 who do they how do they break that um, that data down and and uh, to enable them to identify any of these um, kind of patterns in in and trends in in exclusion rates um, and and other areas as well and and interestingly um, we found that um, boards were least likely to break data down by um, ethnic group which was a little concerning when we look at the attainment gap um, disparity between various ethnicity group, ethnic minority groups, sorry, and also the whole sort of situation around behaviour and exclusions. Um, so I, I guess we are seeing that it's, it's high on the, um, the board's priority list, but I suppose it would be just be really good to encourage boards to really think about who in their school um, is more likely to be excluded and really looking at that local data um, in relation to their own pupils and getting to understand their own pupil population and the and, and, and potentially the wider community that they belong to and some of those issues that may be impacting on behaviour and exclusions and and really just getting to getting to the root of the issues rather than just addressing the symptoms brilliant thank thanks fiona and um i I, th I think that draws us really nicely to to the close and obviously we've we've we tried to cover as much as we can um uh in this session i, I think i think um what we what we'd say to anyone who's listened is 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 please go and go and have a read of our reports go and go and see what we've what we've found out and and how we've interpreted that and you know there's, there's lots more detail there in the reports themselves um uh, you know we're, this 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 is a, a process we do every year and it, it, it always amazes me just how much we learn each year um you know it's, it's really key to us that we take what you're saying and what you're experiencing and we we use that to inform what we're doing and that's ultimately what what we want to do that's what we are going to be doing in in 2022 i'm sure we'll talk a bit 
more about that in our next podcast with um, NGA's senior leadership team in, in January. Um, but I, I guess actually, Megan, it'd be great to um, finish if we could just by talking quickly a little bit about NGA's Greener Governance campaign in 2022 before we do go. Um, have you got any final words that you could um, offer our listeners in, in terms of what, what we'll be up to? Yeah, just a few a few um, practical things that we've got in the um, pipeline for 2022. Emmonites um, will be running a webinar in January, towards the end of January, um, running through our updated guidance for um, November about environmental sustainability. So we'll be talking through that and also going over the new draft climate change and sustainability strategy. We also have some um, governance leadership forums coming up in the new year as well, January and February time, where we'll be hearing from some schools and trusts already doing great work on environmental sustainability. And also it's a, it's a really great place because we want to hear your views on the, um, like I just talked about the Department for Education draft strategy on environmental sustainability so it'd be great if you could come along to them and, and we can hopefully feed feedback those views for you and finally we'll be um, updating our guidance in the spring of 2022 and we would love to hear from all of you doing great work on um, environmental sustainability even if you're at the beginning of your journey or if you're really really already on that on that track so we'd love to share that um, with other boards to really help them out because I understand that this topic can be quite daunting you don't know where to start so if we can pass on some of that expertise that would be great so yeah that's what we've got coming up for greener governance in 2022. Brilliant thanks so much Megan I I guess that's all all that's left for me to say is well first of all thank you so much for listening Um, and if you've got any questions at all on anything that we've covered today we'd be really happy to have a discussion with you so um, get in contact with either Nina or Megan or Fiona or myself. Yeah, be absolutely delighted to, to talk to you in a bit more detail. Um, if you haven't looked at the reports, make, make sure you do do so. Uh, they're there on our website. Um, and um, we will have more podcasts in, in 2022. So um, keep, keep an ear out for those. Um, but all that's left for me to say then is goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.